This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Vijay Geronimo. He's the CEO of Oris Americas. Vijay, welcome. Thank you, Ariel, for having me. Nice to be here with you. My pleasure. When I think of Oris, I think of one of the most friendly watch brands today. You are uh, representing a, a, you know, a historic Swiss brand, but there is an approachability, a friendliness to the brand. I remember for many years at Basel World, the big thing was, come to the Oris boat, the Oris boat. Everyone will remember the Oris boat. But talk a little bit about, you know, just what is it that you do as the CEO of the Americas at Oris? Well, thank you for saying that about the brand. Yeah, I think, you know, we certainly try to, you know, as a, as as people, we try to act as we are as people in the same way in our business philosophy. So really just welcoming, inclusive, all the things that you would you would expect and approachable. Um, so that translates and that's, you know, whether that's from me or it's from, you know, Rolf Studer, our co-CEO, the entire global company or, you know, all the way down, like that's the attitude we have as a company. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's nice to be, it reflects that way. And certainly, um, you know, the watch community and kind of engaging with people is, is part of who we are. So um, as far as my, my role at Oris, um, yeah, so I just recently, um, I got a new, uh, an expanded role. So our office is now overseeing um, South and Latin America as well. So I basically, um, yeah, we run all the sales, marketing, distribution for Oris, um, basically in the Americas. So, um, you know, North America, United States, Canada, Caribbean, and all the way down. So, yeah, we're a small team. So the day-to-day is very uh, different on a day-to-day basis, but very, very fun and very, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to make a difference in, in what you do. So, so I'm curious. Before you had this expanded role of doing North America and then uh, the rest of the Americas, who who was taking care of that? Like, was it a different team, or um, I'm just curious, like, who was handling that before? Sure. So, you know, I've I've been we've been handling North America since I started with Horus, um, you know, 13 years ago, and the the South American markets we have a we have an office in Mexico. And that Mexican, um, the general manager of our Mexico office, Alberto, um, he was overseeing Mexico. And then there was a region manager in Switzerland who basically oversaw South America and that territory. With some changes that we've recently had, now Alberto is overseeing uh, LATAM as well as Mexico. And then he's reporting into our office um, in in the United States. Um, and basically that's what's becoming that. So there was, Dave Weber was a, um, gentleman who was uh, overseeing that uh, before that. Does that mean that the North and South American markets are more similar? Um, I'm just, it, I'm just, you know, it's, it seems like such a different place. I mean, obviously we live in America and we know a lot about South America, but as a watch market, it does appear to be quite different. I, I'm just curious now that you started with that market, what are some of the differences between I guess those markets down in South America and maybe, you know, the, the United States market. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at the United States, I mean, we are a behemoth, you know, compared to, compared to those markets in the sense of it. But I mean, there's still very much, you know, it's very much luxury markets. Um, I would say there's definitely more disparity between kind of income levels as you, you know, I mean, that's just a general comment, not even just a watch comment. But just a general sure. comment. But the people that shop, you know, the people, um, the luxury shopping in, you know, Mexico City, for example, is is you know on par with some of the other you know other places in the world. I mean, you have all the all the luxury brands, all the things you would expect. So it's just, um, yeah, it's just it's just smaller, and it's just kind of understanding those markets and understanding how they operate, and kind of developing developing those markets as well. I remember. When I went to Mexico and various parts of South America, one of the things I noticed was how much they like bright colors. And obviously, bright colors are very in now internationally. But prior to that, I think the South American market was just particularly open-minded where you wouldn't find so many brightly colored yet high-end watches. And now that that theme has gone across the world. And Oris is a brand that has delighted in bright colors, you know, with some of the... um, 
various yeah. types of, of met so many of them. So are, 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 is that like a, a shoe in there? Or did you do particularly well because you've embraced that for so long? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we, you know, the, the colors definitely have, have done well for us across the board. Um, certainly yes, in those markets as well, but things like the Bicos and the, you know, the date relief with the red strap, like just some of our models, you know, those things with the bright, bright, bold colors seem to do very well. So, um, yeah, we're, you know, we're, and I think it's just the way that, again, it's, it's coming back into the forefront with people. So it's certainly, um, but we've had, we've definitely had success with it. So I, you know, throughout this chat, one of the things I want to do is get everyone to be aware of sort of like what my experience with Oris has been. And, you know, Oris is a company that in a lot of ways has remained remarkably true to that, that core theme. Like you said yourself, you try to treat people sort of the way you guys treat each other and the way you think. And there's this sort of welcomingness. Luxury watch brands have a reputation for being a bit standoffish, being a little bit snooty. Yet again, there's very been it's been very welcoming in Oris. And you said it's part of the culture, but it is a Swiss watch brand. Again, as a non-Swiss person, but working in, this, in the industry, what is special about the management, maybe where the brand is located, that gives it a little bit more of that um, accessible quality? You know, there's always, I forgot the exact you know, way you, did, you, you put it before, yeah. but it's always been sort of like a, a, a working person's watch as opposed to sort of like a status watch. And um, there yeah. is status to it, but, you know, yeah, explain a little bit because I, I'm curious. Sure. I think, you know, being Oris, um, you know, the, the company's based in Holstein, Switzerland, which is in the Basel region of Switzerland. It's in the corner. And to be honest, a lot of, not a lot of watchmaking is done in that, in that valley or in that, in that region that where we, where we are. So we're one of the few, uh, brands that exists there. And the company was founded upon the principles of bringing a good watch to a large amount of people. So it was always about an industrialized approach to manufacturing. It was always about, you know, making something affordable, accessible, but having a lot of people wear it. So, you know, you, you might run into people. I remember I was in a store in California, um, a number of years back and the watchmaker came out and he was from, he was, he was Indian. And he said to me, you know, my dad's first Oris was my, my dad's first watch in, you know, the 1940s and the fifties was an Oris in India. And that's just the kind of thing. So like, you know, bringing the watch out to a lot of people is what we've always been about. So the accessibility of it, the attitude that we have, the way we kind of go about ourselves um, is certainly very much about that. And I have to say, like, it's also a thing, like, either you're an Oris person or you're not an Oris person, right? It, it's not so much about being snooty. It's not about being that. So, you know, we we certainly try to to make ourselves, um, you know, just act as as we would act towards towards everyone normally i'd say this in the positive way but i don't see you working at a lot of swiss watch brands right like it's always been a good fit at oris <laughs> but you know what i mean like no you're, no, I, I, you're too I, nice I, of a guy you're too uh, honest i think right uh, i 100 i mean i agree with you i mean i have you know i have worked at other swiss watch brands over time but not not a lot and yeah i i find very much a home at oris and i find oris you know i very much am you know, associate with the values of Oris, what we stand for, what we are. And I think that's true of anything and anybody, right? If you're passionate about something, if you're, if you're in alignment with something that you have, then certainly um, it comes that way. And I, and I, and I feel that very much that way about Oris. And I feel that very much about, you know, our Swiss organization, the people there, the, the, the attitude, the openness that we all kind of work with and everyone is in the, on the same page and trying to, succeed and and you know push the company forward and i think that's that's definitely um something there's not not a lot of room for ego at oris like we, we try not to have that right so yeah one of the things i noticed and again i just there's so many watch brands out there it can be hard for people to understand how their internal cultures differ and oris unlike many swiss companies like other companies around the world i think of the japanese companies especially likes to focus on teamwork and bonding Right, like you get the idea that the Oris team members are playful with one another, that you engage in bonding opportunities are not just about, you know, let's talk about new watches, let's talk about business. It's sure. just sort of people hanging out. Sure. I know that in America and Japan and Asia, there's sort of it's a big thing for team cohesion. 
And in Switzerland, I mean, there's a lot of politeness, a lot of consensus, but you don't see a lot of the like, okay, everyone, let's get our hands dirty and get to know each other real well so that we can work better as colleagues. But at Oris, there's always been a lot of that. And I think that that's been manifested in, I wouldn't call it parting, but like the encouragement of, of people getting silly. Talk about how that's really important in the context of selling luxury watches and why, you know, maybe it helps with stress reduction. Because, again, I think about the average. No, it's true. The average sort of mentality of the Oris employee versus like the average Richemont person. And the average Richemont person is super stressed, uncomfortable with one and like speaking to their colleagues, like really focused on themselves. And it's a lot more familial at Oris. Like, would you say I'm right? Would you say speak about say it any differently? I mean, I can't, you know, I, I can't speak to the culture at Richemont. I can't speak to the culture at other brands. And, you know, very I think good everyone, politics, PJ, very good politics. No, no, but it's true. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not in a position, you know, of course I know people that work at Richemont. I know people that work at Swatch Group. I, I, you know, but I can't say I'm in a position that I'm experiencing that culture. I will say that as an independent brand, right. I feel like that also differentiates us. Like we don't have this you know, need to fall into some corporate structure and where our brand falls versus another, you know, we have the ability to take chances, to take risks, to do that sort of thing. And I think, you know, to your point before about me being part of Oris and whatever, it is a place that I can be myself. And I think that's the culture that's fostered in, in the sense of us being, you know, a close knit family of people. We, 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 we run ourselves and we, we try to be like close group, you know, the team that we work with, we work, you know, on a regular basis. I have a great team of people that, that I work with. And, you know, we all try to have fun together. We all try to, you know, because at the end of the day, that's what we're, yes, we're, we're in the luxury watch business, but we spend a lot of time together. We do, you know, so we try to, we try to make it as, as fun as possible or everyone's enjoying themselves in what they do. Right. Cause I think when you enjoy what you do, it certainly, you get a lot more, um, you know, a lot more good results from it. No, no pun intended, but I think that the way a lot of my colleagues saw it was you go to Oris when you want to wind down, you know, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> there was an ability to sort of relax and let go. Um, but there was sort of this this confidence about the product all the time. And the, and the Oris product, you know, it's not, it's, it's not in, inherently different than other watches, but there is own ethos. There is sort of a, a, a non-pretentiousness a lot to it. How would you describe, or how would you better, how would you emulate the Swiss describing their own Oris products? No, I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about our products and you look at them from a, from a quality perspective, from a technical perspective, you know, we have a long watchmaking history, which quite frankly, I don't think we really get credit for all the time, right? When, when people say the name Oris, it, you know, people know it, whatever, but it's not, it's not as if they said another name or another couple names that everybody's heard of. Right. And, you know, we, we make a really superior, you know, a really good product that has a lot of the features. I mean, we've been making watches since 1904. You know, we had over 270 calibers of our own from 1904 to 1982. Like, we, we are a watchmaker and always have been a watchmaker. And now with the innovations that we have, we've always continued to innovate, do that sort of thing. So when you think about our product, I think the Swiss, you know, and the way we think about it is we like to over-deliver. We like to bring that value that's there. We like to, you know, instead of a two-day power reserve, there's a five-day power reserve in the automatic. There's a 10-year warranty. Like things like that, we want to bring that, that value out there. And that's, and that's, what, we, that's what we try to accomplish. So talking about, you know, this sort of accessibility um, and practicality to to the brand as well as the sort of ability to let your, you know, you, you let your, you pull your sleeves up and, and, and put your hair down. And, and, and I know you, you also have this big passion about sustainability and things like that. And I'm sort of now seeing how this all coalesces into some behavior, which I think is very unique. It's very different. Only Oris has, has ever done it. And it's you basically get together to do like you know garbage cleanups on beaches and other and other sustainability things. There's obviously a big trend at the brand of environmental friendliness and being socially responsible and environmentally responsible as a company. You know, talk a little bit about if you are at Oris or if you're a friend of the brand, whether you're media or maybe a VIP. Like, what are some of these events that you get invited to? They're maybe different 
than the event, than their sort of typical luxury events you might think about? Sure. I mean, we've always viewed the environment as something we were, you know, passionate about. So, I mean, if you look back to the way we've done ocean conservation projects and products, you know, we feel that as a luxury brand, we have a unique voice to bring a message to customers that can make a difference in the everyday lives of what they're doing. So, you know, in a watch like an upcycle, for example, like we have an upcycle dial for those who don't know, it's made of recycled ocean plastic. Is the amount of plastic in that dial saving the world? No, it's the conversation about that that is among the people that can afford and have the means to buy luxury watches that are the people that can afford and make the choices in their lives that will help change and change for the better. Not no pun intended, but basically make that change for the better. So that's kind of how we view it. We've been doing this sort of thing for many years in the sense of, you know, whether it's Great Barrier Reef, whether it's Coral Restoration Foundation, whether it's, um, you know, just a lot of these different projects we've done over the years. We didn't do it and we haven't done it because all of a sudden now it's a marketing initiative and everyone's got to do sustainability. It's a buzzword in the industry. It comes from a place of genuineness. And in looking at the company and, you know, are we perfect? We're not perfect. But we also want to take the steps that really put your money where your mouth is, right? So you're talking about this and everybody's talking about this. But, you know, so we've we've gone out, we've taken the extra step of becoming carbon neutral as an organization. So getting certified carbon neutral as an organization. We've made a pledge to reduce our carbon footprint 10% every year for the next three years, you know, when we put it out the report last year. We'll put out another sustainability report in Geneva. It's holding ourselves to account to basically really not just talk about it, but really take action about it. So again, not being perfect, not being not changing the world, but changing our world, changing the way we do things or about it. And and hopefully others follow, right? And I think others are following, others see it. But certainly, I think it's very much a recent development of people, and it's something we've been doing a long time. So, You said that you want those watches to create conversations. What do you want to have as an outcome of those conversations? I mean, obviously, you you want people to associate you know, uh, this type of mentality with the brand. You want people to ideally do things to help the world. But you personally, I mean, you care about sustainability a lot, I know. What do you want? the people that buy Oris watches and part of this community, what do you want them to do? How do you want them to behave in a way? Because I think that there's, it's important these days to be very activist about environmentalism, sustainability. Not everyone's sure what actions to take. What do you hope people do after they have that conversation? Well, I think it's, you know, it's general things that are, you know, relatively easy things to do. And, and people, you know, like we've, in our offices, we've, you know, gotten rid of single-use plastics. We've, you know, gone to all silverware. You know, we just simple things in our in our building that we in our building in our offices that we that we try to do. Um, we've put solar power pa- panels on our roof in the factory in Switzerland to basically generate much of our own electricity. But from the day to day of someone that's buying a watch or having that conversation, you know, it's it's recycling. It's it's um, supporting that sort of thing. It's not. It's not throwing your trash away. It's. It's not using maybe using a water bottle instead of using a you know a, a Poland spring bottle or a single use plastic bottle. It, those those type of things. Maybe it's um, having an electric vehicle or doing something like that. Um, you know, really making a difference and and doing that. And that kind of change doesn't come. Um, it doesn't come overnight, right? It, it it comes over time. But the more that people are aware of it the more that um, it certainly uh, will, will inspire change that needs to happen. And I think that, especially as the younger generation of watch consumers comes up, um, I think they are very much in tune to this sort of behavior. So I think it's, it's already um, ingrained in them that this is a good thing. So I think to continue that and to, to kind of put that out there, I think that's, that's what we want to make sure that, that we do. And again, Ariel, we're not perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? But it's really just trying to move the ball forward and trying to uh, make a difference. What about your personal life? What has happened in terms of your experience or where you grew up to make this a big deal for you? I mean, obviously, environmentalism affects every human being on this planet. But 
you seem to have cared about it in a way that um, was very authentic, a little bit ahead of the curve, right? Before it was trendy. Um, just curious about what about you makes you uh, particularly interested in this topic? Well, it, I, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of kind of working with the company and seeing firsthand like these projects and what goes on and the basic grassroots level that people are operating at and, and what they're giving to the environment. So that's inspired me a lot to see the people, um, you know, early on with Oris, I remember we, we used to do a program called Sea Heroes where we would find people that did, did things for marine conservation and kind of uh, give them a watch and then, and then fund them, uh, fund a winner, a Sea Hero of the Year. That's actually, um, how this, the car restoration project, um, came onto our radar. But it's things like that that have inspired me to do it. I mean, am I perfect? I'm not perfect either. I mean, it's more about, you know, taking recycling. It's more about, you know, trying to make a difference, try not to travel as much, try not to, you know, do things like that, um, that have, that have, uh, made me see it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a user of the ocean. I like the ocean. I like the water, things like that. And to see kind of what's happening to it. Um, but I also think, uh, you know, as I, as I said, I've become more passionate about it because I've had the firsthand experience to see the organizations and what they're doing. And that's, that's definitely inspired me. So, you know, you've, you've seen some of that as well. The Swiss talk about it in an interesting way, unlike Americans. I think in America, when you talk about environmentalism, it's a lot of platitudes. It's a lot of, we should be doing this. It's a lot of idealism and ideology. But in Switzerland, it's funny because no one seems to get on a, on a soapbox as much. They just have things that they do. And when you talk about business sustainability and then you see what certain companies in Europe do with energy efficiency and, and, and tracking certain things about, like you said, how many cups they waste or, or the miles that the employees drive on their way to work, you really start to see what that means in practice. And I think as an American, it's enlightening but also shocking because we're just so used to talking about it, right? No, and it's it's you know you're 100 correct in the fact that you know I think you know with the, with the European mentality and the way the Europeans look at it, it's very commonsensical, right? It's just part of who they are, and we as Americans, uh, you know, it's not that way all the time, and you know, especially in different parts of our country. I mean, I think there's certainly um, you know some parts of the country which could care less about it, right? They have no sense of it there's no sense of recycling or things like that and then other places they do but yeah i think i think um the europeans the swiss i think it definitely is just just they're ingrained it's just what they grow up with it's how they view things it's 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 always been that way but i think it's um you know it's it's good to consider it and i think you know working for a european a swiss company and having exposure to it and consistent exposure to it it definitely opens your eyes to it and it definitely you know makes you want to take action um you know and to the point of you were talking about driving i mean you know with our with our carbon neutrality like we we track every single mile we we fly we track every single mile we drive we we do a lot with with that sort of thing and, you know, it's a lot of work to track it and do all that stuff, but certainly we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing by it. I want to transition that over into the many in-person events that you do um, around the world, but especially in the United States, and how you have this fleet of Airstreams, <laughs> which is amazing. But before we talk about these cool events you do, I'm just curious, again, just staying on the sustainability topic, when you speak to the average person that comes to the Oris events, and I know this is hard because all around the country, obviously the environmentalism and sustainability are something you're talking about. What are some of the things you've learned? Are you've learned about people doing interesting things? Do you feel that people are on the same page with you? Do you feel that Oris is doing a great job by promoting a message that maybe people aren't talking about enough? I'm just curious, like, what is your experience hands-on in the community, um, right there with the consumer and, and, and the intersection of their thoughts and feelings in this important message of sustainability environmentalism yeah i mean i think you have you know like anything you have people that are extremely passionate about it within the community so doing events people are you know really really into it and they and they get to do it i remember we did this cleanup event with um 
some of our trainees that we had, some retail store trainees that we did. And people just were really excited about it, like really got into it, collected as much trash as possible. I mean, it was it was pretty interesting to see. And then others, you know, others see it. They may not participate in so much, but it definitely, um, you know, it's definitely eye-opening. And to your point before about, you know, luxury watch brands are leading, you know, a luxury watch brand leading such activity, I think that's really, you know, where the differentiator is in terms of us because it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're inspiring people, trying to inspire people to take action, not just talk about things, you know, so, but I think too, and we talk about events, whether it's sustainability or just events in general, I think our, our philosophy and our, again, going back to the way we are has always been to engage people, to, to be inclusive of people, to do that sort of thing. And I think when, people get involved in an event like this, it's very inclusive and there's no pretense. There's no anything you want to help, please come help. You know, and I think that that also inspires people. Okay. So let's go back to these airstreams because it's a brilliant thing. And, and people need to realize is that when you're a brand like Oris or any watch brand <clears throat> and you do events, you need to travel with product, enough product, it needs to be safe. It needs to be a nice environment. And for the most part, this has been a very ad hoc kind of messy thing where you want to show your products to community people, Los Angeles or any city and in a restaurant or in an office or even a retail environment. And you want to show off your brand the right way. And it's very difficult to do that, to travel with that stuff. There's a lot of safety and weight and cost issues. But Oris yeah. came upon this idea. And again, there are other companies that did it. But in the watch, in the watch space, you were very early on and, and probably one of the best ones right now where you created these mobile showrooms. It's like a little retail space and it has spots for a lot of watches and you drive it around and you just park it somewhere and then you connect it to some type of event and it, it seems to be such a good and efficient thing. How did you stumble upon this idea and talk a little bit about this practice where you have these traveling Oris Airstreams? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, to what you were saying before about events was is very true. Like, you know, obviously, we've always tried to do a lot of different events, and and it was the same situation where, you know, you want to present your product in a, in a in a way befitting to the brand, but you know, you would find yourself like under a tent on a table with a display out. You know, it looked okay, but it didn't. It wasn't a. I wouldn't say a luxury presentation of the brand the way it should be, and you know, and that's just what it was. And so it was like we need to do something that can make it so it's presentable and honestly you know we obviously talked about having a boutique or things like that but we we don't have a boutique in the US and it was kind of our answer to you know how do we make something that we can use as a boutique but also make it flexible um and that's what happened and you know this was pre-pandemic this was 2018 we had our first airstream we basically took a vintage airstream and refitted it and redid it and started to use it that way and then you know, come, you know, we started and then we, we liked the concept. It worked well. So we put three more airstreams into production. We were like, okay, we need, we need to do these and, and roll them out. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> so basically we started to do it and then, um, that's what happened. But it turned out that obviously with the pandemic and the way that was, it, it was one of the best decisions we have ever made because it, it certainly, um, lended to the flexibility of it. It lended to, being outside, it lended to all those things. Now, I think you see more people doing that sort of thing, trying to bring their concept out. But we did it as out of, out of a concept of wanting to do events and wanting to have a space that was um, consistent with the brand image. And, you know, the Airstream is certainly um, consistent with our brand image. It's, it's casual, it's fun, but also it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's classy and it's, it's very, um, the amount of people that walk into the Airstream at events just to see the Airstream is is just as many people come to see watches. Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message from eBay, a platform I probably use daily. Make sure your watches are the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. I believe it's the first and best service of its kind that protects your luxury purchases and checks each watch individually at eBay's highly reputable authentication partner, Stolen Company, in the United States. From band to bezel, their authenticators ensure each wristwatch matches the eBay listing and is the real deal. 
Authenticity guarantee is also very fast. Once authentication is complete, your watch is securely delivered via rapid two-day shipping. Surprisingly, eBay's authenticity guarantee service is free for all watches priced $2,000 and up. No one should buy a luxury item without an authenticity guarantee. Do what I do and check eBay before each watch purchase because everyone deserves real. But it's also very efficient and kind of brilliant from the perspective of trying to do a lot simply. And that's sort of the same things we like in a watch, right? Like when you can get yeah. more functions in a watch, when you can just pack more stuff in there, when you can get just a little bit more performance, squeeze out 10% more performance, we get excited by that. And so that's what's always been fun for me is when you see a business decision or a marketing strategy that is satisfying like a cool watch. And I, maybe that's getting a little bit you know, <laughs> nuanced with it, but I, I, I love how well it works because you know, and, and I think other people out there know, that the goal of a brand like Oris or any brand is to get human beings in front of your products. The more that happens, the better. And these days, especially where people are learning about watches first online, it's remarkably challenging just to get someone to like actually take your watch, handle it, put it on their own wrist, make make an opinion. And you've almost you almost like systemized that in, in, in a way that I just think you need to be really proud of. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's been a great success for us. And and but it allows us also to put watches in places you don't expect watches to be, right? So we show up at different events and different things like that. And you know, you may not be expecting to see a watch brand there, but you're a consumer that is, you know, you're you're maybe in the market for a watch, or you don't realize you're in the market for a watch and you see a watch and you just get a sense for the product and it's 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 amazing. And it's just and it's 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 also it doesn't matter gender, it's like men it's male, females, it's like everybody has a passion for it and it's nice to see um when you can see it in person and it gives you that sort of retail experience. It gives you that that firsthand consumer experience. And I, I love doing Airstream events. I mean, we've done a lot of them and it, it's really nice to, to get the feedback and see the people and see how people react to things because it's, you know, it's just firsthand, firsthand, um, firsthand knowledge. I mean, you're, you're basically going to start selling Airstreams. I'm sure people have already <laughs> offered to buy them. Like you're like, can I get a commission off of this? I mean, <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you a funny story about the, one of the Airstreams when we were, um, so during COVID, when we had ordered the airstreams, we or, you know we ordered them basically not built. They were basically just shells. And then the pandemic hit, and uh, airstream because the demand was so high, they basically said that they weren't going to do any more corporate airstreams. They were just building consumer airstreams because the demand was so high. So Jimmy Fallon's people they needed an airstream. They wanted him to build an airstream, and we had one of the only shells. Um, Basically, one of the free shells for Airstream, so um, we gave it to them because we weren't we weren't ready to build it at that moment because of the pandemic. So we gave it to them, and uh, so yeah. So Jimmy Fallon has an Oris Airstream. If that's a, that's a roundabout way of saying that. So. That's cool. Is he? Is he? I know. I know he's a watch guy. Is he wearing an Oris? He's not wearing an Oris. He's what? not wearing an Oris. I know. <laughs> I know. So that's you. You've you've got to change. You've got to change that for sure. I mean, like that's that's a fun part of your job. Like you get to find people you like and be like. You know, sir, madam, you would look really good in an Oris. I think I can change that. Like, that's a cool fringe benefit of the job. Well, I had, I had the, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him um, at a Yankee game um, last year, not last year, the year before, and uh, I told him the whole story about it. So he was, he was very unaware of that. That's where it came from. So it was very funny. So, baseball is something that I know you like, and there's been a lot of collaborations between the brand and baseball, whether it's. Um, you know, watches based upon historic players or with, you know, stadiums and things like that. I don't see that as being a decision that people would make distantly from Switzerland. I'm guessing that 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 is you. You are the one responsible for the, the baseball integration, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that was, uh, yes. I mean, certainly working with my Swiss counterparts, but yes, certainly um, baseball was definitely something that is a, is a passion of mine. And uh, it definitely came you know we've done a lot of things around it and i think it's been uh it's been good for the brand in terms of just you know awareness of the brand in terms of synergy with what the brand stands for history things like that it's been it's been a good a good run there so yeah we we enjoy the partnerships we know that the watch industry and sports has always gone together and certain sports are a bit more familiar or historic to europe 
are the ones that are focused on <clears throat> a lot. You know, soccer is a very good example. Baseball yep. is is not entirely American. They play it in Japan and, and South America and the Caribbean, things like that. But it's not – baseball does not exist in Europe. And so what I'm imagining is when this got started and you had to go to your colleagues in Switzerland and be like, I want to do stuff with baseball. And I'm sure – they didn't really know a lot about baseball. Like, what was what were some of the initial discussions on? Like, this is what baseball is, and why Americans or some Americans care a lot about it. Well, I have to I have to say, like, it, it actually wasn't it it wasn't so much difficult with them because we were we were we were talking with the Yankees, right? And I think um, you know people as much as if people know the game of baseball or not, like the New York Yankees are definitely a worldwide thing. I mean, you've been to Switzerland, you've been, I mean. Go around and look how many people you just see wear a random Yankee hat, right? So I think the fact that we were working and talking with the Yankees about it, it, it certainly helped it because it, you know, it's just a global brand. And I think that's kind of how it got started. And then I think the Swiss have a very good perspective, and at least my Swiss, when I say it that way, right? Um, they have a very good perspective on not everything works in every market the same way, right? So if you look at our global sort of situation with partnerships and what's evolved, right, um, we have baseball in the U.S. Um, we're doing a little bit with, with hockey in Canada. Um, we're doing cricket in the U.K. We're doing uh, soccer in France. So, like, we have a number of partnerships in the Swiss. You know, certainly, um, you know, Rolf is very much in tune to um, markets that work that work that way and, and things that work well for the markets. So, yeah, I mean, it's good. Um, the baseball is, is the most civilized of American sports, I guess, is, is how I would say it, right? <laughs> civilized. I mean, it's true. Football is like a proxy for war and baseball is... I mean, if you're a baseball fan, I know that calculation is a big part of it. So, like, people who are into math really, yeah. really seem to enjoy baseball stats. But there's also something about going to a baseball game. And you're right, compared to like, let's say basketball or football, where the fans like are just like yelling like crazy, there's something more relaxed and um, I don't know, I, I, maybe relaxed is the right way. I mean, again, it's been a while since I've been to a baseball game, but I just remember them being more chill and the experience of going to them is just, it's different. Yep. No, def- definitely. You know, and I think, yeah, I think it's it's a very strategic game, right? I think there's a lot of strategy involved in it that, you know, if you're a fan of it, you kind of you kind of can see it and you you're you're familiar with what it takes to to make it happen, right? But certainly, um, yeah, and every sport has its has its has its greatness, right? So, I mean, NBA, NFL, everybody has their greatness. Just yeah, baseball seems to be, um, you know, it, it appeals to a lot of ages as well. So. Again, I just love talking about these things because from the outside, you look at the luxury watch industry as a consumer and especially as a lay consumer. And I think one of the things you realize very early is there are so many nice products for the money. Like the way I choose is not like who makes the good watch, right? Like it's a lot of products. That's what you're thinking about. Like I want the machine that will work well and not fall apart and perform well. But in watches, like most of the options are are you know objectively good time tellers the things that makes you buy a watch is the design the personality of the brand what you think or feel when you see that brand name on the dial and it again it might appear as nuances but it's really affects why people invest their time and heart and energy and money into one brand versus another and so for people that are just getting into watches, I think it can be so intimidating. I'm sure you see that as well. Like you've been living in it for so long. Sometimes it's hard to think this way, but do you ever imagine sort of what it's like to just get into luxury watches? It's, it's intimidating, isn't it? Yeah, it can be, it can be. But I think, you know, people like yourself, like the things you guys have done for the industry, Blog to Watch has done for the industry, like getting people to read and have, a, you know, a moment with something and, and research and doing that. I think that's done so much for the watch industry and so much for kind of getting people interested in watches, right? And I think, you know, whether that's watches or other things, I mean, I think the, the general consensus is that when people buy something these days, the, the first thing they do is research, whether it's, you know, a watch, a car, um, anything that you're doing. Uh, they're going somewhere 
Um, so certainly it's that resource that helps it. But yeah, it is intimidating. But you know, try to be. Um, I guess that's why you try to be as approachable as possible too, right? So people are not not so intimidated by it. You must be one of the. You know, I'm guessing in your family, one of the only people to work in the watch industry. Maybe I'm wrong and you come from people that just <laughs> no. work. But in the community where you live, you live in Connecticut, right? I do. I do. And, you know, it has a bit of a history with watchmaking. Obviously, you got Timex out there. But what is the conversation like socially when it's learned that you have a pretty high-level position in the Swiss watch industry? Like, what are some of those conversations like? Well, I mean, it's, you know, people, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't. As a person, I mean, you know me well. I I don't go around and be like I'm so and so with you know what I mean. I I, I keep a pretty low profile about it. Um, but people, yeah, people like watches. I mean, people ask me about watches. Um, you know, things like that. I certainly try to try to give advice where I can give advice. But yeah, it's generally you know I wouldn't say it's if people are like oh my god that's so impressive or you know it's just more like just being a regular person and and, and around. But yeah, it, it does. It does draw some draw some attention at times, you know, especially if people are watch people, then you know, whether it's friends and they're like, Oh my god, I you know, I saw that watch or I like that watch or can you help me? Um, things like that. But yeah, it's 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 interesting to see. Um, as you know too, I mean, I'm sure you being a watch person and other people that are not watch people, they come to you they come to you and see, you know, what what your opinions are, that type of thing. You know, what I found the most interesting is an evolution over the last three or four years. Because prior to that, being into watches was truly esoteric. But since social media started talking about watches, not really in a qualitative sense, but really like a lot of like just expensive watches and bling, bling, bling. And of course, everything that happened with Rolex and that availability and demand, it's like the idea of being into watches in the watch industry has changed. Now people suddenly have an opinion, whereas before I think they had like no opinion. So yes, they come to advice with to me for advice, but it's like they just have very different conversations after <laughs> this sort of new era of of social media popularity. And I feel that as silly as it can be sometimes, you and I are both going to benefit because a lot of kids are growing up with watches as being this this totemic status symbol and those of them that make a lot of money in the next decade or two, you know, they're going to be customers. And so it's interesting because, you know, 20 years ago, people were talking about the end of the watch industry. That conversation does not happen anymore. No. And I think, you know, certainly it's, it's not a, you know, a watch in the past maybe was a necessity in the sense of knowing what time it is. Now it's not a necessity, but let's face it at our price points, and what we do, it's not really about telling time, right? It's never really been about that. Of course, it's you know people use their watch, people dive, people you know it's functional and things like that. But it's at a certain at a certain level, it's not it's not all about that. And I think whether that's now or twenty, you know, there's always going to be people that have that sense about them. Um, but but still, it's uh, it's certainly um, it's nice to see a generation of people at least putting something on their wrist, right? And then we got wait, when, we got to talk about that not selling time because you say something so interesting because I, I'm going to think about something completely like motorcycles, right? When, right. when a motorcycle is marketed, everything which is marketed is like the performance, da, 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 da. But as we know, people tend to buy motorcycles to feel good, but it's like, they can't just say that they can't just be like, this is a powerful machine, which is going to feel awesome when you drive it and you'll have to focus a lot and you won't be thinking about your worries. They can't talk about any of that, even though that's like the core thing. And I think watches are kind of the same way. Like you can't actually tell people why they're going to buy it. You have to like dance around that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. And, I, and, and again, you know, not being a brand, um, I wouldn't say that we're a brand that's about pretension, right? So it's not about, oh, I have that brand on my wrist. I'm, um, you know, um, you know, l- let me put my hand up in a bar and let let everybody look at my watch. And here I am. You know what I mean? I'm wearing this watch. Like that's not who we are. But I think it certainly has a. It definitely says a lot about the the person about the watch you're wearing. At least we're sensitive to that because we're in this industry, right? So I mean, you do it, I do it. I mean, I go out and I and I look at people's wrists. That's what I do. I just I just see it. I'm like, oh, that person's wearing that or wearing that. And you know, people look at me like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Well, th- yeah, that's just what it is." And then you you have that 
you have that sense about it. But like with an Oris, I think it's not, you know, yes, it's about telling time, but but it's the way it looks, it's the way it functions. It's it's we like to say watches what we do, our main function is to make people smile, right? We want to make people happy with what they have on their wrist because it's really not about it's not anything anybody needs. It's not anything anybody, but it's a desire that people have. Maybe it reminds you of something or a place, a time, something that's sentimental to you, but watches are meant to make you smile, right? And I think that's what we that's what we see our our function as. Not only that, but you've tapped in to what I call the social vector. And that is watches being a way to have and maintain friendships. This is similar to baseball or another pursuit yep. where you meet people, especially as an adult. Because of a shared interest, you go to mutual events because of the shared interest, but having that shared interest is, is really the foundation of the, uh, of the friendship. It could be some other thing like going to sports games or, or whatever it is, but watches for so many people have become um, a social outlet as well as a, as a, as a hobby for, for wearing and buying things. And I think that intuitively, you and the rest of the Oris team learned a long time ago that there's this community element. That's what people call community, which is really just about friendships. And you yeah. made it very easy to be friends with Oris as well as be watch friends and hang out with Oris. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because, you know, when when we first started doing that, it was it was not a function of kind of recognizing. It was more of like, you know, this is this is a competitive industry, RL. You you know that. And I think when I started with Oris, um, 2010 like there were people in our industry like retail people in our industry that didn't know that didn't know Oris as a brand so you know starting from that that moment and then you know when we met like you know we talk about some of the community people like with the red bar folks with Adam with Kathleen like meeting them and they were like oh we love Oris you know we like you love Oris really you know Oris they're like yeah so it was just more like it came from a a place of just someone, you know, drawn together for for the watches, but then just hanging out and kind of understanding, just being people, you know, being able to relax, have a beer, whatever it is. And then, you know, that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, with the Red Bar groups and the community groups, I always thought, especially here in the country, like, you know, New York was a centric place for people to do a lot of things, but there were a lot of watch fans in the country. So I always had the, you know, I always had the philosophy that, we should not just do these things in New York. We should do them in other places because there's people that want to see the watches in Atlanta and they want to see them in Birmingham, Alabama, and they want to see them in, you know, in Seattle and places like that. So always had a philosophy of bringing bringing that out to people, and you know, it, it, you know, and that's kind of how it is, and just being accessible to people and being, you know, showing showing people what you have and and things like that, and and. You know, it's so people are so appreciative of that, and I think that's that's what we you know have come to come to really love about about doing those things. At the same time, when you have friends, you have to listen to your friends, and they have a lot of opinions. Yeah. And you are presented with, I'm I can't even imagine, but like, hey, VJ, make this watch, do this partnership, do this thing. How do you internalize all that feedback, all those opinions? Not only to the things you do, but in what you recommend to Switzerland, right? Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're essentially their ambassador to the United States. They're like VJ, tell me about what to do in America because you're you're the you're the resident American. Um, what is your strategy about internalizing all that massive and probably sometimes contradictory feedback from all your friends and colleagues? Yeah, I think I mean everybody has ideas, right? So I think that's it's nice that people give ideas. Certainly, I mean, I think there's, you know, different types of ideas. There's product ideas, which we take very seriously, like out at events or feedback and, you know, comments or things like that. Like, you know, take that kind of feedback very seriously because they're the users of the product. They're the people that see it and want it. So like, you know, kind of understanding what that feedback is. Of course, you know, there's always people that say I want something really crazy or something like that so certainly you got to take everything you know with it with look at it with a lens that's obviously more centric than it is outlandish sometimes but certainly doing that and then yeah there's marketing feedback there's people that are like you should do this do that and I think it's just kind of 
it's kind of viewing what I see as our brand message, what I what I interpret our brand message to be, how I feel the message should be, and what we portray. And then, you know, does that fit within that realm? Does it is it is it reaching well who we want to reach? Is it doing something for us in that way? And I think that's that's the lens that I look at it in and say, you know, does this make sense for us? And uh, you know, and and how if you're an outside person looking at this, how would you feel about this? And sometimes I have to say, Ariel, like I feel like, you know, sometimes just too internally critical, too internally protective of the brand sometimes, you know, I think in, in that sense. And I think that's uh you know, that's where I, you know, you got to look at yourself that way sometimes. I want to add some context there because even though watch brands are set up like factories that also have R&D f- facilities and are all about making improvements, the problem is that the market doesn't really tell them how to improve the machine. It used to be that it was like, oh, watches aren't accurate enough, make them more accurate, or watches in the market aren't waterproof enough, make them more water resistant, or they're not durable enough. But for the most part, like I said, watches are very, very good. And watch brands have to sort of sit there and figure out what types of aesthetic things do we do different? What types of mechanical things do we do different? They have to guess what people will want tomorrow. And that is not traditionally what, what a factory mentality does. And so it's a hard decision to ask yourself, what do we make that people will want tomorrow? Or what is it that people say they want today that they'll buy? Yeah, and the process, and, and it's funny, the process, you know, if you think about a typical consumer products company, right? If you think about a consumer packaged goods company, not that they're the same, but do you know how much market research goes on? Do you know how much money is spent in that before a product's introduced or something like that? And I think the watch industry is different in that sense, right? I think it's a lot of, like, you know, we think this is what someone's going to like, or we think this is, yeah, of course, there's a basic level of research and, and that sort of thing. But certainly, um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it and a lot that goes into kind of uh, understanding. And then once it's, you know, once it's out there, how is it doing? How's it performing? And things have certainly improved in the sense of like gathering information about it. But, but yeah, there's always that, that, that process about it. The focus group is probably the single most effective tool um, for an industry like a, a, a watch brand to determine what people like and how they respond to things. And very few brands ever, ever, ever engage in formal focus groups, you know, with the correct research methods and, and measuring and, and methodology. But there is those events. There is those Oris Airstream shows and the various types of opportunities that you get. And those, in a sense, are the focus group, right? Because that's the best you can do. You can you can put things out there, experiments, and then see how people react from the side. And I think that that is where people like yourself come in because you can't just have a brand do those events, but you have to have some with your critical eye standing around measuring in some way how people react so you can get yep. some type of instinct, right? Because that's that's the process, and that's the that's the real marketing value, if you want to call it that, to those events. But it takes people like you actively processing that. If it's a bunch of junior people or people that are event managers, they're not going to be thinking about the situation that way. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think it's true. I mean, in terms of a team, in terms of like you know, my team of people and how we go about it and stuff like that. Like we all. You know, to your point, like these are the, this is the place where feedback happens, right? So, you know, we have mechanisms by which feedback is given back or, you know, we talk about those things, you know, how is, how is the event? What happened? And someone will say, well, you know, someone said we should make this or make that or, you know, so we, we kind of put that in place, but you're right. I mean, it does take, it does take a little bit of, you know, kind of having that eye or having that experience eye looking at it and saying, you know, what's happening here or what's not. But, you know, it's, it's, it, it comes with time. And I think, People, you know, our group of people are, are certainly good at it as well. So it's not just not just myself, you know. We're, we're almost out of time here, but I wanted to actually speak about a couple of products. The Aquis is, is people, I think, you know, my favorite of the families. I just, it's, a, it's an all-purpose dive watch that you can dress up or dress down. And I think that it's, it's always a great place to sort of enter the brand. A big deal over the last couple of years of Oris is the introduction of exclusive movements, the Caliber 400 family and things like that. I guess in the remaining minutes, maybe share some of the products that, you're, that you have just come out uh, that you think people will be the most excited about. And then what can you tell us about not what's going to come out, but what types of things 
is Oris looking at investing in developing, help people understand how the sort of R&D side and, and the product team, uh, what are they thinking about? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, um, Caliber 400 has certainly been our, you know, something we've been focused on, as you said, for the past couple of years. So we we did a lot of R&D on that in terms of bringing that out, you know, five-day power reserve, 10-year service interval, 10-year warranty, everything that goes into that. So we've been basically putting that movement into several things It came out first in the Aquas, um, and then we've had it in, you know, anything from a Diver 65 to a, um, you know, a, um, it's been out in many, many different things, a pro diver, um, those things like that. So we certainly had it at there. And I mean, we'll continue to use it and put it out. As far as, you know, what we just came out with, like one of the introductions we just had was Caliber 473, um, which basically has the movement in it, the, the, um, our in-house movement with a five-day power reserve. It's a manual wind, but it also on the back has a power reserve indicator. So that's a pretty pretty cool piece that just came out um, a few weeks back. Um, Geneva will be interesting, I, I will say. Um, there'll be some things that are very unexpected, I think, from us. So, but but very unexpected, but certainly um, on brand, I think when you when you think about it. So we're excited for that. Yeah, it'll be a nice year of product introductions, um, things you would expect from us, but also some interesting interesting things coming down the pike. Um, and I think, you know, Ariel being the independent brand, as I was saying earlier, we don't necessarily have to stay in a lane. So we can come from, you know, something like a cotton candy to, you know, an, an Aquas Pro to something else. Like we, we certainly have the, the breadth by which to do that and, uh, the wherewithal to do it. So we certainly, you know, that's, that's the kind of focus that we have, but product continues to be. You know, the quality of the product continues to be the top focus, bringing things that are innovative and useful to people and make people happy. That's that's really make people smile. That's kind of what what we are what we're doing. Thank you for that. I mean, there's, again, a lot to unpack there. Um, I, I always like Aura's because it's the type of brand where if you're just new into like high end watches, you always recommend it. You're like, yeah, you got to check out Aura's. There's a bunch of good options there. But also if you've been collecting it for a while, um, you feel very comfortable because then there's a lot of brands where you're like, once you sort of move past it, you're like, I'm no longer buying watches that level. Um, but similar to like a Seiko, you can be very exciting for people just getting into it, but you can be a very mature collector and want to get that. And I think that the various types of products that Oris has, those various directions you go, make that possible. The challenge is just speaking to all those audiences at the exact same time, right? Like it's hard to do that. Exactly. No, and I think, but I think to your point, uh, you know, I think what we've, what we have is that the the person that obviously buys an entry level or comes in at an entry level has a lot to offer, or we have a lot to offer. But the person that's also buying very expensive watches will buy an Oris because they respect the brand, they respect what it's about, they respect the watchmaking behind it, and people that buy at high levels also they recognize the value in our product, right? So you, they know that. You know, even at say seventy six hundred dollars, the skeleton uh, caliber one fifteen manual wine ten day power reserve, like is a is a bargain for that price, right? Even though it's the most one of the most expensive Oruses, people understand the value proposition in that, and I think that's that's what we also um, have the luxury of, of gaining from people, and people people see that, so we're grateful. What do you like to put on people's wrists? I know that a lot of times you're in a position to just recommend something. Do you put on you know, a, a Diver 65, do you put on an Aquas? Do you put on like a big crown? Like, what do you just put on someone who's just getting into watches or the brand? Yeah, I think, and, and it's funny you ask. I mean, I have a couple friends asking me recently, you know, I want to get a watch. What do I get? What, you know, what's one you want? My, you know, my question is like, what, what do you want? Do you want something that's sporty? Do you want something that's dressy? Do you want something that's whatever? I mean, I personally, I think, you know, a basic Aquas, you know, or a Caliber 400 Aquas is a no brainer. Like, it's a great watch. It's a great. Um, it'll last. You can wear it. It's rugged. It'll it'll take a beating. Like all those things, I think those those things are certainly has its value. You know, it's a very good value. Um, but then, if you're more like someone who's more classic or vintage, I mean, I think the pointer dates are great. I mean, I certainly have my favorites. You know, like a Roberto Clemente is my favorite, obviously, because just given the 
the association with baseball, given it's a personal project, passion project of mine, right? So things like that, I'll definitely recommend. But I think it, it also, you know, I try to, I try to say, what what is the person going to use the watch for? What do they want it for? And then kind of go from there and make recommendations. That that's how I go about it. Perfect. Sounds like we're kind of on the same page there. <laughs> um, Vijay, where can people find more about you on the internet, and where do you recommend people go to learn more about Oris? I mean, I think um, Oris is www.oris.ch is our is our website. Um, I'm uh, VJ Geronimo on Instagram. Not that you need to find me, but certainly if you're looking for me. But yeah, definitely um, you know check out Oris because I think that's that's the that's the place to find, and you'll see a lot about the people and and that sort of thing. So you know, thank you. You know, and I think it would be good. To, yeah, go take a look, read some of the stories, read some of the, you know, kind of the background of some of the products. I think that that really enlightens people to kind of the story of Oris. And I think once you understand and really appreciate Oris, you're in it because it's not it's not hard to it's not hard to get passionate about for what all that it stands for. This has been the superlative podcast interview with Vijay Geronimo, CEO of Oris Americas now. Vijay, thank you so much. Thank you, Ariel. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com. <laughs>